on Easter uh, Good Friday, we were reading through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to continue there now. Uh, we're in Luke 24, uh, the first 12 verses, and uh, Andrea is going to come up and lead us in that reading. Okay, Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the, to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Thanks so much, Andrea. Uh, I'd be really encouraged you to keep your Bible open there at Luke uh, 24, as I said. Uh, on Good Friday, we were looking at uh, earlier chapters in Luke, uh, the events around the arrest, uh, the betrayal, the arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion. And today, uh, we're looking at this account then of the very first Easter Sunday. Now, there were some sermon outlines on your way in at the welcome desk. You can go and grab one if you need it. Uh, at the bottom of one of them is some discussion questions. So maybe some th things that you want to think about when you go home, talk about as a family, or maybe in your growth group. Uh, in the week or in the couple of weeks to come. There's also a kid sheet there. So kids, if you haven't got one of them, uh, you might want to go and grab one, uh, help you follow along. Now, uh, nearly 200 years ago, on the 21st of August, 1835, uh, the New York Sun newspaper began publishing a series of articles claiming the discovery of life on the moon. Uh, they attributed these findings to a well-known astronomer at the time, uh, Sir John Herschel, and they claimed that these had been found by using hydro-oxygen magnifiers, uh, which enabled us from Earth to be able to see what was happening on the moon. These are articles that lasted a couple of weeks. They were even accompanied by drawings, pictures of the new and bizarre life forms that had been found on the moon. Uh, there was a small reindeer-like creature. Uh, there was a bear that had a horn on the top of its head. And there was a beaver that in every way was like a beaver here on earth, except it walked on two legs and it carried its young um, in its arms. Now, this was, of course, um, fake news. Uh, a long time before fake news uh, became a thing. It was completely false. And a month or so later, when the newspaper's readership had nearly tripled, um, they produced a little article which said, sorry, um, this was, in fact, 
a hoax. Now, of course, fake news has been around for a long time. It's been around a lot longer than this current period where we always talk about fake news. In fact, ever since there has been news, there has been fake news. There has been misinformation. Now, sometimes that fake news can be a little bit of fun, can't it? Like the story of life forms found on the moon when we think about it 200 years later. But sometimes fake news can be extremely damaging. What if you, what if you based an important decision on something that was fake? In about 1950, a radio station in the U.S., uh, played without announcements, excerpts of the show, War of the Worlds. It threw people into a panic, believing that Earth had been invaded by alien life forms. But what if it wasn't just one decision that you based on some fake news? What if you based your entire life on something that wasn't true? Well, today, you and I, we are remembering and we are celebrating an event that for many in this world is a piece of fake news. The news that is so central to the Bible and so central to our faith that Jesus died, and not just died, that he rose again. It's so central to our faith that Paul, when he writes in 1 Corinthians, says, that if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, our faith is in vain, and of all people, we are to be pitied. Our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins. So can we be certain that this happened? Can we be sure that Jesus rose from the dead, or is this a case of fake news? Because if it is fake news, the bad news is that we have wasted our lives. Now, the good thing for us is that when Luke, who writes this gospel, this, this story of the life and the times and the things of Jesus, when he writes it, he writes to a man named Theophilus. And he writes to him for a reason. And that reason is so that Theophilus can be certain about the things that he has heard. That he can be certain about Jesus and he can be certain about all the things that Jesus did. And that's true too as Luke writes of this account of the resurrection. He writes it in such a way that we can be certain that it happened. He wants to leave us in no doubt that Jesus rose from the dead, that this proves who Jesus is, and that it gives us a certainty of living eternal hope. So we're going to have a look at these verses this morning, and we're going to have a look at the certainty that we can have because of them. The certainty we can have about Jesus, about the resurrection, the certainty we can have about Jesus and his claims, and the certainty that we can have about our living eternal hope. So let's dive in there. And we're picking up the story that Luke has been telling about the first events of Easter. And for a little while, he's particularly been focused on this group of women. 
Uh, they were there, if you want to look back at chapter 23, verse 49. The women who had followed her from Galilee uh, were watching the events of the crucifixion. And they were there also, we read in verse 455, uh, when Jesus' body was taken down and it was laid in the tomb. Uh, they saw his body go into that grave. But because it was now getting dark on Easter Friday, the Sabbath day was beginning where no work could be done, they went home and they got ready the spices to anoint his body. The plan was, let's go back after Sabbath day and we can anoint that body with those nice smelling spices. And so when we pick up the story here in verse 1, that is what they are doing. Soon as it is light on the Sunday, they go down to do that. And notice this. They were hoping to, they were expecting to find a dead body in the tomb. They are not going there thinking that his body would be missing or that he would be raised from the dead. But when they get there, this is what they discover. Incredibly, verse 2, they find the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. And again, let's note this. They don't immediately say, this is incredible. He must have been raised from the dead. It says they are perplexed. They have no idea what is going on. It's not until, while they are perplexed, that these two men appear who have dazzling apparel. And from that, we're lead to believe that they are, they are angels, messengers from God who come now to tell them, why are you looking for the living, the dead, um, the, dead among, sorry, the living among the dead? He's raised. He's no longer dead. Now, after this, we notice that they rush back to the disciples uh, and they tell them all about the things that they have seen. Now, I'm just going to pause for a minute. What clues are there in here that this is a real event and not fake news? I don't know if you follow the Gospel Coalition Australia on their Facebook page or via email. Over the last little couple of weeks, they've produced this series of really short videos, and I linked one of them to the church Facebook account, uh, which talks about all of the evidence that we have for the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that they note is that when historians and journalists look for authenticity, they look for embarrassing facts. See, the idea is if you're going to make up a fake story, you don't make up one that embarrasses you or discredits you as a witness. So what fake new, what evidence might there be of embarrassing facts here? Well, there's, there's two of them in particular I want to highlight. The first one is that it is a group of women who are the first to be told and found out. Now, I have to really qualify that really, really quickly, don't I? Because we are reading something that is 2,000 years old and not written today. But 2,000 years ago, if you wanted something to be believed, you wanted witnesses to be believed, you wouldn't make up that it was first told to women. Their testimony would have been considered unreliable. And secondly, you certainly don't name the women involved because then they can be checked up on. 
And thirdly, you don't name a woman like Mary Magdalene with a very questionable background. There's a second one. That's embarrassing fact number one. The second one is there. It's a little bit further on. When these women now, they go to the disciples and say, the tomb is empty and we've been told that he's raised from the dead. What happens? These disciples don't believe them. They, they write it off as, as, as an idle tale. It, it seems to be ridiculous. Even though they've been with Jesus for three years, even though they heard him say, I'm going to raise, rise from the dead, they don't believe it. Now, if you want to make up a fake story and you want to seem like a credible witness, <laughs> uh, you don't include the fact that you didn't believe it even once you had been told it. Now, these, of course, are not the only reasons that we have that we can believe in the resurrection. Uh, the fact that we have multiple witnesses, uh, multiple named witnesses, who could have at the time been questioned about what they had seen. The fact that those who taught these things, who had been witnesses, were willing to go to prison for it, were willing to be beaten for it, and in many cases were willing to die for this good news, points to its truth. The fact that those who claimed it was fake could never produce the body of the Lord Jesus to put it to bed once and for all. Not only that, but we have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit who confirms the truth of God's word to us. It adds up, doesn't it? We're not celebrating a myth or a legend or mass hysteria. Jesus was dead and then he was alive. He appeared, people witnessed it, they told others about it, and it was believed. Now, it's possible that you're here with us this morning, you're here today, and you've got some doubts about this. That's okay. Um, you are in very good company. Um, even those who were the first to be told about it had their doubts first up and didn't believe. I'm just glad that you're here. But I want to encourage you, if you've got doubts about it, check it out. Actually, if you doubt very much that it happened, I want to challenge you to do some research. Christianity is not scared of scrutiny. We welcome it. In fact, journalists and historians alike who have looked into this have actually become converted because of the evidence that is there. Now, sure, faith is required. There, there is no believing without faith. But it is faith that is based on real historical events that were recorded and can be tested. And if you're, you're already a believer, but from time to time, or maybe quite often, you ask the question, can I really be sure? I want to encourage you to do this as well. Do some research. Check it out. Look at the evidence that we have for the reliability of this news. It far outweighs almost everything else we have from that time that we believe 
without hesitation. And if you have conversations with people, if you like to tell them about Jesus and you have conversations with people about the resurrection, we can say more than we believe it by faith. We can encourage people to check it out. We don't mind the scrutiny because the evidence stacks up. All right, let's move on now and let's go to the next step or the next level. You see, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we have to conclude that Jesus is a liar. All right, if he, if he didn't rise from the dead, either he himself was deluded because he thought he was going to, he was, he was crazy, or he was a trickster, which is even worse. He was trying to delude other people. If he didn't rise from the dead, he is a liar. But what if it did happen? If he was raised from the dead, surely this gives evidence to the other things that he said about who he is and what he came to do. Now, some, some claims are easy to prove and some claims are easy to disprove, aren't they? If I made the claim here this morning that I took a plane flight one day and I sat next to a Hemsworth, all right? One of the famous ones, not an ordinary one, like one of the really famous ones. And we had this really good conversation and, and we chatted away for a couple of hours. How would you disprove it? It's really hard, isn't it, to disprove that? But it's also really hard for me to prove it because Chris said, don't take a selfie with me and uh, you don't post it on Instagram uh, or something like that. See, we can say stuff, and some stuff is really hard to prove or disprove. Now, the same thing with some of the claims that Jesus made. It's hard to prove or disprove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the Son of God or that he could forgive people from their sins. But when he said on more than three occasions, I'm going to die and then rise from the dead, well, you can kind of prove or disprove it, can't you? Because either he dies and he doesn't rise again, or he dies and he is raised. And what's the evidence? Well, he was telling the truth. He was raised from the dead. And this gives good evidence about the other claims that he made. It proves that he is God himself come to earth. It declares him, as the book of Romans says, to be the Son of God with power. It makes him out to not be a liar. You know, you know what the resurrection means? It means that our Savior is not dead. He's alive and he's alive today. It means he can be trusted. He says and he delivers. What he says comes true. You can hang your life on what he says. It means that he has defeated sin and death. He rose to a new life and an eternal life. He reigns then over heaven and earth. And incredibly, he now gives eternal life to people who put their hope, people who put their trust in him. 
Our faith in the Lord Jesus is not based on wishful thinking. It's not covering our bases. I better believe in him just in case he did rise from the dead. We can know that he lives. We can know that he is saviour and king. We can know that our sins are forgiven and we belong to him. Do you know why I want you to check out Jesus and to check out evidence for the resurrection? It's not because I want to convince you of a historical event. And it's not because I want to win an argument. We've got to be careful of that, don't we? That we don't just want to convince people so that we win. We, we come out on top. I want you to be convinced so that your heart is won over to God. So that you too will believe in Jesus and what he has done. So that you might put your faith in him. You'll turn from rebellion and you'll turn to him as Savior and Lord. And I only want this because this is why the Lord Jesus did it all. So that rebels and sinners could be forgiven and brought back to God. Now, in a sense, it's also true that I can't convince you. And in fact, nobody can convince you. I can't convince anyone. And actually, left to myself, I can't even convince myself. We have stubborn hearts that resist the truth. But you know what's really good? God knows that. And God comes to us in the Holy Spirit. And as it says in Corinthians, he shines in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He brings this home to us. He softens stubborn hearts and he opens closed minds so that we put our trust in him. And so I want to say this to all of us this morning. Whether you're in church for the thousandth time or the first time or somewhere in between. If you sense something stirring in your heart and in your mind. If you find yourself becoming convinced of this. This is evidence of God at work in you. This is God shining the light of the gospel in your heart, so that you know and you turn to Jesus. If that happens today, then you cross from death to life. You are saved. And if it does happen today, I want to encourage you to tell somebody about it. Kids and young people here, maybe tell your parents about it or tell your youth leader. Uh, tell a friend who, who maybe you came to church with or, or, or come and talk to myself because we want to encourage you with that. And we want to spur you on as you follow Jesus. All right, last, one, last part of this we want to look at. Uh, we want to look at the last part of that certainty, which is the certainty of hope. And we've kind of strayed into this already, so we're not going to be here for long. We can have certainty about the resurrection, which gives us certainty about Jesus which then gives us certainty of eternal hope. Now, as we've been thinking wider, um, the bits of the passage that we're looking at get smaller. 
Um, so I just want to look at really one word now, and it's down there in verse 7. If you want to have a look at it there, it says that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I want to focus on that one word, must. It's even smaller in Greek. It's almost insignificant, but it says so much. It reminds us that this work of the Lord Jesus is the eternal plan of God to bring salvation and restoration to all of creation. When Jesus predicted that he was going to die, it's not that he could die or he might die or even that he will die. He said that he must die because this was the eternal plan of God. God the Father laid on him the sin of his people. God the Son, the Lord Jesus, took that sin willingly on himself and went to the cross so that it would be paid for in full. That the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would raise him again to a brand new life and with him all those who trust in him. Colossians chapter 3 puts it this way. It tells us that, that we have been raised with him because we died with him. And also it tells us then that we will appear with him in glory. Because he died, we, when we trust in him, we died with him. Because he was raised from the dead, we who believe in him, we are raised with him. Because we believe in him, when he comes again in glory, we will be with him forever. Notice what our hope doesn't rely on. Our hope doesn't rely on the way that we feel. I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I feel very saved. And other days I feel very unsaved. You know what's more? Sometimes the way I feel is determined by how long it's been since I had coffee or when I last ate. How good is it then that my salvation doesn't depend on how I'm feeling at the time? You know what else it doesn't rely on? It doesn't rely on what other people say or think about me. It doesn't rely on other people thinking that I'm a good person or thinking that I'm doing the right things or thinking that I'm a horrible person. And that's a good thing because not everybody loves me all the time. Most of the time, maybe, but not all the time. You know what else it doesn't rely on? It doesn't rely on how I'm doing. You know, whether I'm going really well in my, my, my obedience, or I'm doing really well in relationships, or we're doing really well in our ministries, or we're reading the Bible every day, it doesn't rely on that either. And that's a good thing, isn't it? It relies on one thing, and one thing only. It relies on the Lord Jesus Christ. That we died with him. That we were raised with him. And that we will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we're so thankful for the incredible hope, uh, the incredible certainty of hope that we can have in the Lord Jesus. 
I thank you, Lord, that your word uh, is true and can be trusted. I thank you that it tells us so wonderfully and so clearly of the resurrection. And I thank you, Lord, that we can have certainty in Jesus and who he is and what he has done. Lord God, we pray for each other this morning. Uh, we pray for those amongst us who, who don't know you and don't believe in you yet. And Lord God, we ask for you to stir in their lives, in their hearts. And Lord God, if we're here this morning and, and that's happened, we, we're so thankful. And we pray, Lord, that you give us the boldness to be able to tell somebody about it and talk to somebody uh, about what's happened with us this morning. Lord God, we're... We want all glory to go to you because you are a great God, a wonderful, loving Savior. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, in a moment, we're going to sing our last song for this morning, which uh, gives glory to God for the reigning of the Lord Jesus. Um, so we're going to stand and sing that. I want to really encourage you afterwards to hang around for a while. Uh, it's just a chance to sort of chat and to uh, kind of encourage each other. Uh, as we follow Jesus together. Let me just close with these words from uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, which talks about the reality of the resurrection and how we can trust. And it says, Therefore, because Jesus was raised from the dead, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Let's stand to sing.